A very warm welcome to all our listeners. This is Radio Maria England, and this is our Credo program. And um, it's a wonderful privilege and pleasure to be welcoming our speaker for today, who is um, Derek Williams. Derek, you're usually calling in from Walsingham, is that correct, today? Well, I'm usually calling in from Walsingham, but today I'm calling in from Boston in Lincolnshire. Oh, interesting. I'm visiting my spiritual director, so I'm just here for the day. That's very interesting. Um, well, a very warm welcome to you, Derek, and lovely to have you back on, on the airwaves. We had a bit of a, we gave you a bit of a holiday, is what um, Elizabeth was calling it, um, where you didn't speak for the last three weeks because of a, a, a fledging um, seminarian that was speaking to us about the Mass, um, whom you graciously uh, stepped aside for for those three weeks. But we're very happy to have you back and very happy to um, continue with with listening to what you have to, to speak to us about. And, and I understand that today it's going to be talking about the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Indeed. Thank you for the welcome back. I really appreciate that. Um, and um, I'm very happy that the fledgling seminarian was able to cover the three <laughs> weeks. One should never get in the way of a seminarian. That's an absolute truth the church must obey. <laughs> Good. Well, um, I'm going to hand over to you then. And uh, I wonder if you'd begin with a prayer for us, please. Sure, absolutely, Tim. Well, um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for the beauty of your creation and for this beautiful spring day here in England today, which is over here in the East, gorgeous day, Lord. So we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for the beauty and the riches of your word. And I pray, Father, that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon everyone who is listening to this so that they may have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ as the word of God is proclaimed over the airways. And I just speak peace into everyone's heart who is listening to this, just to receive the word of God peacefully, lovingly, that it may find a home in your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome, listeners. Very welcome. I hope you missed me. Um, I didn't notice if there were any letters of complaint issued to Radio Maria because I wasn't on the airway. So I'm going to assume that you've all been highly entertained by the fledgling seminarian as he gave his broadcast over the last few weeks. So here we are again now. We're still working on the Jubilee series. This session is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of a reminder. The, the Feast of the Feast of Jubilee, the Year of Jubilee, which is what this is all about, the Year of Jubilee, is the, if you like, the high point in a series of feasts. The reason I haven't actually talked really about Jubilee yet is because it's a process that we have to work through. Think of it like the church's year beginning in the start of Advent, and then you have got Christmas, um, you've got the Feast of um, the Epiphany, the presentation, Lent begins, not to miss out the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, Lent begins, Lautare Sunday, uh, Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday, and then the Great Feast of Pentecost, which is actually not really picked up on much these days in the churches. We celebrate it as a liturgical event, but the full meaning of Pentecost, we really don't celebrate that much. 
But all those feasts are leading up to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the birth of the church. Now, we can't just celebrate Pentecost as an isolated event. We can't even really talk about it as an isolated event because it all goes back to the incarnation of Christ and you know the, the fulfillment of the incarnation in one sense is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when man's dignity as a vessel of the Most High God is restored to him to a certain degree. Same here. I can't just talk about Jubilee without, first of all, leading you through the liturgical feasts of Israel. So you get a deeper understanding of those liturgical feasts, a deeper appreciation for the Word of God, and a deeper appreciation for the riches of our own faith, because all of the teachings I'm giving you is part of your heritage as Catholics. And we need to discover our heritage in Jesus Christ really discover it and uh, become enriched with the heritage so that we can become fully the children of God that we're called to be. So today we're looking now at Leviticus chapter 23. And once again, I just want to repeat, here's your heritage, probably the dustiest book in the Bible, if I hear it correctly, because I hear many people will read the Bible and the common mantra, if you like, I, I use that word lightly, or in the fullness of breadth of broadest meaning of, of the word, the, the, is, is, oh, I, I stopped reading the Bible when I got to the book of Leviticus and the boring book of Leviticus. And yet, in the Jewish world, the book of Leviticus is the heart of the Torah. It's the third book of five. It's the heart, and every sentence is from God. The Lord spoke to Moses, every paragraph, sometimes several times a paragraph. The Lord spoke to Moses. There's no other book in the Bible that has that phrase so often repeated. The Lord spoke to Moses. And I can say it here. This is Leviticus 29, verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, that's how it begins. Say to the sons of Israel, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a solemn rest. I really do hope this as you're picking up on this idea of rest, that it fits in with every single feast of Israel, but it also needs to become a, an integral part of our own lifestyle. We need to retake the Lord's Day, and we need to retake this idea of resting on feast days. You know, the Feast of St. Joseph was on Monday. Can I dare I issue the challenge? Did anybody take time to rest in the presence of the Lord? on the Feast of St. Joseph, think the patron of the Universal Church? Because we should. We should take time to pray, to rest, to contemplate these mysteries. If we're going to have a true conversion, rest is going to have to be at the heart of our lives. Okay? God, tells, God tells Israel, you shall observe a solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. The Lord wants no different from you. He wants us all to bring an offering by fire. How so? He wants you to be consumed with fire so that you can bring yourself before him, maybe during the Eucharist, and bring your heart aflame with love for God before him at the, at the, at the Mass and when you pray the rosary, 
or just when you sit down in contemplation, you present the fire that is within your heart, the fire of love within your heart to God, an offering which is pleasing to him. Very next sentence. And the Lord said to Moses, on the 10th day of this seventh month, which is a seventh month, uh, it's the month, think of Elul, and you'll find it, no, no, it's the end of Elul is the month finishing, so this is the next month, forgive me. Um, um, this will be mid-September-ish. It changes every year because the Jewish year has a bit of flexibility in regards to the movements of the months, okay? So the first day of the seventh month will often fall mid to late September in our calendar, all right? Uh, I can give you roughly the date last year, Thursday the 22nd of September, I think was the end of the month of Elul, the sixth month, and the biblical year 5783 was about to begin. Okay, that's according to an email I got from an organization called Towards Jerusalem Council 2, which is to do with Judaism and the church, a beautiful organization. And I get their email. So I'm going to be using this email a little bit today as well, because they have some beautiful insights with regards to the Feast of Tabernacles and surrounding feasts. Okay, so the first day of this month is the is this is let me start again. I'm just going to get my tongue in order. So the the seventh month, the first day of the month is New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Um, oh no, yeah, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Okay, it's called the head of the year. So because it's the first, it's the new year in respect of um the harvest and so on. So it's the beginning of part of the year, like we have. We have um early December, we have the church's new year. First of January, we have a secular new year. Fifth of April, we have a tax new year. September, we have a school new year. So there's lots of new years taking place, a new academic year in September, I should say. Now the same in Judaism. They have their first day of the year of Popper will be around April, March, April time. But then they have this other head of the year, New Year's Day, which falls around mid-September. Okay. On the 10th day of the month is the Day of Atonement. Okay. Um, now I'm going to whistle through that for the minute. Again, verse 28, you shall do no sort of work on this day, for it is atonement. It is a day for you to make atonement before the Lord your God. Now, here's an important line. Brace yourselves. Whoever is not afflicted on this same day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on this day, that person I will destroy from among the people. This is the voice of the Lord speaking. Okay, now your reaction might well be, that's not very loving. <laughs> it might not sound very loving, but it is holy. Okay, please listen carefully to God's word when it comes to a distinction sometimes between a God of love and a God of holiness. Now, you might not think it sounds holy that God would threaten his children that they will be cut off if they do any work on a day of rest. 
But what can be more loving than a parent who has to chastise a child to prevent it from coming to harm by saying, if you do that, you will hurt yourself. Yeah, God is saying to the Israelites, if you do work on a Sabbath day, you're cutting yourself off from the covenant. You're cutting yourself off from the people. I'll give you a concrete example of this in our lives, because this is a very important topic. According to the Catechism, the teaching of the church, if you do not go to Mass on Sunday, provided you're able-bodied, etc., it is a mortal sin. What does that mean? It is a sin which leads to death, which cuts you off from the life of God. So by not going to Mass on a Sunday, you're separating yourself from God. You're cutting, you are cutting yourself off from the life of God through the church if you don't go to Mass on Sunday as an able-bodied Catholic. Okay? Now, there's, there's a little bit more to it than that. I'm just putting it out in as blunt a terms as I can, just so you can see how the Old Testament laws, here's one law where God is telling us, if you do work on the Sabbath day, especially the Feast of Atonement, you'll be cut off from the people. And here we have an example of our own modern life, our worship in the church, where if we do not have this obedience to God and to the law of the church, we cut ourselves off and we need to go to confession before we can receive communion again. The same applies to many of the rules. There are many things in the church that if we do or don't do, we're cutting ourselves off from the life of God. Okay, So this is, this is God's love speaking through. God is saying to us, just go to Mass and receive the Eucharist. In fact, you don't even have to receive the Eucharist. Just go to Mass. It is simple. It is very simple. Go to Mass and all will be well. We shall enjoy our loving communion ongoing. All right? Same with the Israelites. Now, this is for the Feast of Atonement, but I wanted to skip the Feast of Atonement for the moment. I'll come back to it, if not today, another time. Because the, 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 the teaching of this, top, this topic is all about the Feast of Tabernacles. And this begins in verse 33 of Leviticus 23. And just here we go again. And the Lord said to Moses, notice the repetition in the word of God. Say to the sons of Israel, on the 15th day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Take your pick. On the first day shall be a holy celebration. You shall do no work. <laughs> I'm quite, I'm thinking, why does God have to keep repeating, telling us to take a break? Why? You'd think it'd be quite easy, wouldn't you? You'd think if, you're, if your boss came into your office, those of you who are working or have a job of some sort, if your boss came in and said, okay, switch off your computer, turn off the bread maker, whatever you're doing for a living, take a day off. You'd skip out, but would you have a day of rest or would you find something to do? Seven days you shall present offerings by fire to the Lord. Notice that, offerings by fire. In the Old Testament, that meant getting a particular animal and burning it up on the altar in the temple of the Lord. In our lives, it means bringing in our heart, which should be aflamed with love for God, 
and presenting ourselves before the Lord uh, in, in the Mass or in church or even just in prayer in your living room. Yeah. So the first day you shall do no work. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy celebration and present an offering by fire to the Lord and you shall do no work. Now look, this is, this is not rocket science, okay? First day, you don't do any work, you present an offering by fire, you take a break. Eighth day, uh, why the eighth day? Well, it's foreshadowing the resurrection, the eighth day, yeah? First day of the week was the eighth day, if you like. Um, eighth day, you present an offering by fire, you do no sort of work. How difficult is that? This is all God wants. This is a challenge, though, because on the Feast of Booths, um, it, God wants us, here we go, verse 40, you shall take on the first day the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. Rejoice before the Lord for seven days, and you shall keep it as a feast. You shall dwell in the tabernacles for seven days. All that are native in Israel shall dwell in tabernacles that your generations may know that I made the sons of Israel dwell in tabernacles when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. So if you go to Israel in September, October time, check your dates, look on the internet for a calendar, a Jewish calendar, You'll go into Israel and you'll find loads of tabernacles in people's gardens all over Israel for people who are going to live under the booth for seven days. Some will literally do it. Some will do it as a sort of a symbol, a symbolic thing, um, like putting up a small tent in the garden or some or little tent shelter in the garden or something like that. Um, but God is saying to the Israelites, I want you to live in tabernacles for seven days so that you can remember that your, I made your ancestors live in tabernacles when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is very, very important because there is a lot of talk these days that the Israelites didn't even live in Egypt for a period of time. They certainly didn't cross the desert. They certainly didn't spend 40 years in the desert, and they have all sorts of things. There's all sorts of th people trying to make out that this was fictional. Those, these ideas are ridiculous. The Lord, the inspired word of God, has given us an incredibly accurate and personal historical record describing the events to us and also reminding the Israelites to keep on living the experience so that the experience of traveling across the desert, living in booths, actually becomes a liturgical part of Israelite life and not just Israelite life. Okay. I'm now going to go to John chapter one in my Bible. Some of you already know where I'm going. Um, and this is John 1, verse 14, okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, now the, the Greek word for dwelt can also be translated as 
tabernacled. Okay, you got that? The Greek, here we go. This is in my footnotes. The Greek word eskenosen, E-S-K-E-N-O-S-E-N, literally means pitched his tent. This image recalls a tabernacle where the Israelites were instructed to keep the Ark of the Covenant, which signified the presence of God among his people. In the fullest sense, the incarnation of Christ brought the presence of God into our midst. Okay. So John 1, 14, the word, the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Speaking or recalling this feast of tabernacles, where the Israelites are instructed to live in tabernacles for seven days. Once again, that directs us back to creation. God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And not necessarily, not, I mean, I wouldn't go with a literal seven, six day creation. Some might, I don't. Um, but I'm just saying that's what the church sort of speaks out. It talks about, it talks about the six days of creation. And here you have the experience of the Israelites living it out, living in booths during those seven days. Okay. This is what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. So let's just recall that because there's been quite a lot of information feed in the last couple of minutes. So let me just summarize it before we go to our first song. Okay. Summarizing it. Um, September, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the Lord commands the people of Israel, the peoples of Israel. The people of Israel I must get some some new teeth um, to rest, rest, and rest. So the, the idea of rest is constant. And then on the which day? Well, uh, which day of the week is it? On the fifteenth day, for seven days, they rest. Okay, and so they they live in tabernacles, booths. All right. Prior to that, you have the Feast of Atonement, which is on the 10th day of the seventh month. So I'm going to hand over for a song and then we're going to look at atonement. OK, over to you, Tim, in the studio. Thank you, Derek. Yes, this first song is called The Goodness of God by Bethel Music. Hope you enjoy it. I love you, Lord Oh, your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your head From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God You will let me through the fire. 
Goodness of God by Bethel Music. You are listening to Credo on Radio Maria England, and um, Derek Williams has been speaking to us about the Feast of Tabernacles and how its significance is still relevant to us today as Christians. And um, I'm going to hand over to you again, Derek. Thank you, Tim. Okay, folks, so I want to now take you through the Feast of Atonement. Um, which leads into the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and all this, all this that we're doing now will lead in to the year of Jubilee, which I will hopefully cover over the next few weeks. Um, but we shall see how it goes. So the Feast of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 23, um, verse 26, on the 10th day of the seventh month, is the Day of Atonement. Now, 10th day, 7th month. Just a little something about um, the, the dates, the numbers. Uh, the 7th day um, is the Day of Rest, the Shabbat. Symbolizes perfection, number 7, because there's 7 openings to the face. 10th, or 10, uh, the number 10 is the letter Yod, in the Hebrew alphabet, and it's the first letter of the name Yahweh and the first letter of the name Yeshua, Yeshua being the Hebrew variant of Jesus. The letter number 10 symbolizes absolute completion. So you have these two symbolic meanings behind the numbering 
of the Hebrew. Um, and, you know, God reveals to the Israelites on the 10th day of the seventh month is the feast, the day of atonement, what is known as Yom Kippur. Okay, Yom Kippur, Yom, day, Kippur, tone. Now, what happens on this day? I'm going to explain to you what Kippur means in a few minutes. You'll find it interesting, I'm sure. And it will really help you to understand a little bit more about your dignity in Christ. But what happens on this day? The high priest of Israel, I think the, the, the Hebrew is Gadol Cohen. Cohen is priest. Okay. Cohen is priest. So the high priest chooses a bull that will be slaughtered for his own sins. And then he casts the lots over two he goats okay um he lays his hands on the one goat and transfers the sins of people to the goat which carries the sins away into the desert and the goat is released the other goat is put to death and the blood of the goat is taken by the high priest and he goes into the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant is and he touches the ark with the blood seven times and the ark is the, the ark is touched in a particular place on the top of the ark where there's two um gold angels two cherubim i think it's cherubim it could be seraphim forgive me for that one two angels are on top of the ark and between them is what's known as the the mercy seat or the atonement cover the mercy seat the priest touches the ark with the blood seven times making atonement for the sins of israel then he comes out and he signs a shofar to let people know that atonement has been made this only happens one day of the year one day of the year okay every year well it doesn't happen now because obviously the jews do not have a um, holy of holies or an ark of the covenant they don't have that anymore um but back then it would have happened once a year okay once a year understand that the word kippur as in yom kippur the day of atonement to atone for your sins okay, to atone for your sins we even now use this phrase to atone for our sins don't we that does not mean that your sins are removed and it does not mean your sins are forgiven okay it does not mean your sins are removed i just want you to really get that it does not mean your sins have been removed or forgiven to atone means to cover it means your sins have been covered by the blood of an animal okay so that god doesn't look upon your sin but he looks upon your righteous deeds okay that's an important little thing to get into context and it's not much of an improvement either folks because if we really saw our deeds in the eyes of god we'd realize that we don't do too many righteous deeds but to get this concept to atone is to cover okay it's not to forgive it's not to remove it is to cover and in fact in the book of hebrews the author of hebrews says the blood of anim animals cannot take away our sins 
all right? What does take away our sin? Well, John the Baptist comes along. Now, remember, John the Baptist is descended, is a son of Zechariah, who is um, a, a priest. So John's walking, and, and his mother's a daughter of Aaron. So John is from the high priestly caste of Israel. In a sense, some people would say John was the greatest high priest of the Old Testament. He's the greatest prophet, Jesus said, of all the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. So here you have the great high priest in the wilderness, not in Jerusalem, but in the wilderness, and he proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so it's the high priest declaring that, as opposed to the high priest in Jerusalem, who can only cover, using the blood of an animal, the sins of the world. Now, here's the beauty of what we have in Christ. This is the extraordinary beauty and dignity and the incredible gift that God has given us. It's, it's hard for me to convey in words the, the sense of, of what God has graced us with here. For a thousand years, the Israelites could only atone for sins. And then along comes Jesus. And instead of Jesus as the great high priest, <laughs> and he is the great high priest now, um, instead of him getting a, a goat or a bull, as the high priest did in the Old Testament, the high priest in the Old Testament got a bull and then got a goat. The bull was for his own sins and the goat was for our sins. Jesus does neither. Jesus has no sin, so he just comes before God. And instead of offering a goat, he offers himself. And instead of atoning for sin, he takes the sin. He removes it. Now, I want to dwell on this because I meet a lot of people in my work as an evangelist, a lot. I meet a lot of very broken, wounded people. People who are deeply wounded, sometimes, often, often by the sins of other people, sometimes by their own actions. They just haven't forgiven themselves. They don't know how to get forgiveness. They don't know the simplicity and beauty of going into the confessional and just confessing their sins. Some people are terrified of going to confession. Okay, And I've, I've had a dialogue on this station with one lady, one lovely lady. I emphasize she was a lovely, lovely lady who had that battle because she'd had some bad experiences of going to confession. I understand that because I've met people who have that. Um, I've been in the fortunate position that I think I've only had um, bad confessions on two occasions. Most of, my, most of the time when I've been to confession, it's been a powerful and beautiful experience. Humbling, painfully humbling, <laughs> because you're having to confess your sins and trying not to justify yourself. You're trying just to say, okay, God, I made a mess. These are my sins. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not going to try and justify my sin. I did this and it was wrong. <laughs> and I realize I've made a big mistake or whatever. Humble pie in, in oodles of humble pie, okay? Tastes delicious after the confession, because if you make a good humble confession, the humble pie tastes absolutely delicious when you've been absolved. So take that as a voice of experience. But this is what Jesus has done for us. 
Yeah, I say I'm speaking mainly. I expect to Catholics who go to confession, or I would hope you would start going to confession, especially in Lent. This is the perfect time, the absolute perfect time for this kind of a message. It's the message of repentance. Yeah, and the message of repentance is simply glorious. That comes up in the Feast of Tabernacles because the 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 word is the word for repent in Hebrew is teshuvah. Okay, now I have it in my notes here. I don't know if I'm going to find it. I was reading it just before the show began. The Lord calling us to Teshuvah. What does that mean? Oh, here we go. Um, um, this is the greeting. This is the greeting. To all who follow this cycle of tabernacles and have embraced it, a Shana Tova, Metuka, a good and sweet new year, a blessed time of Teshuvah. What does Teshuvah mean? It's the Hebrew word for repent. But what does it mean? It means to return to your own property. To return to your own property. What's your property? The kingdom of God. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, it has pleased your father to give you the kingdom. This is what God is calling us back to, the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he can do this because he has removed all of our sins. He has taken our sins. I want you to hear this, folks, especially those of you who struggle to forgive yourself or who struggle with the wounds of life. God has taken our sins away. He has removed them. When we go to confession, all of our sins are taken away. If you go to confession in a few weeks on Divine Mercy Sunday, he will remove all the punishment for sin so that should you die, you will not go to purgatory, you'll go straight to heaven. Now, this is what God wants to bestow upon you. And I'm going to keep on emphasizing this. This is gift. This is the love of God manifested among us. The holiness of God, it manifests itself powerfully and painfully when we don't listen to him and when we turn away from him. Then the holiness of God can be a painful experience because we're rejecting the God who wants to save us, to heal us, and to restore us. Okay, so I hope you're hearing this. It's kind of like I feel like I'm imploring you, those of you who are suffering in one way or another, and I'm imploring you to come back to the sacrament of mercy, to encounter the God of mercy, because what you have been given, compared with what I'm reading in the book of Leviticus, there's no comparison. Just by speaking your sin, God will remove your sin and he will heal your soul. Now, it's, it's um, 20 minutes of the show left. I want to hand back to Tim to give us a second song in the afternoon. See if anyone wants to call in to either ask a question or to challenge my uh, thinking or just to ask me about the confessional, talk about your struggle. And we can pray. We can pray for you, you know, because when we pray for people to who are struggling with these things, it really, really helps uh, in the fellowship of believers for us to encourage one another in our struggles in life. Okay, over to you, Tim, for our next song. Thank you, Derek. Um, yes, and uh, this is a wonderful opportunity um, to speak to not a priest, but a, another person who's coming from the perspective of uh, 
um, I suppose we all need God's mercy, but it's just a slightly different perspective. And I, and I think it's a very valuable one. Um, Derek being a, a lay evangelist who's, who's speaking as one of us, um, somebody coming into the confessional and understanding that grace from this perspective. So here is a song. This is Be Thou My Vision by Celtic Worship. Be thou my vision O Lord of my heart Not be all else to me Save that thou vision by celtic worship very beautiful rendition of that song and um i have sarah on the line hello sarah hi um sarah you have a where are you calling from first of all um 
Cambridge. Lovely. You have, uh, you'd like to say something to Derek? Yeah, thank you. Hello, Sarah. Nice to hear you. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. I haven't been able to uh, listen live for a while, so I thought I'd ring in uh, as I caught it today. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, when when you were talking about um, the, um, the, the Jews being um, cut off from God um, if they worked on the Sabbath day, um, mm -hmm. w was there any way for for them to return to God, uh, um, up, or did they return to God just on the Day of Atonement? What happened to them if you know they sort of felt remorse and wanted to come back? Sure. Well, this is a good question. Um, the actual um, recourse for them, um, if they broke the Sabbath, I specifically do don't know. But if we look at the New Testament, when Jesus healed a leper, he says to the leper, present your offering to the priest in accordance with the book of Leviticus for you to come back into the community. So what would happen there is that the leper healed now would take an offering, a pigeon, a dove or goat, whatever, to the priest the priest would examine the leper to make sure he was clear of leprosy and then the blood sacrifice would be made. So one assumes that if that's the case for a leper, then a similar form of atonement can be made for a person who breaks the Sabbath, even though the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was actually being stoned to death. So whereas the penalty for being a leper was simply they were cast out of the community. So you can see that there's, a, there's, there's more to it than meets the eye. Mm. Yeah, mm. I see. Mm. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And while I'm here, good, can, the I, good news, can the, I... The good news is for us, Sarah, no matter what we do, yeah. we can always go straight to confession. Yeah, <laughs> that is true, that is true. Could could you say a prayer for me? Oh, of course. Yeah, I said I, I offered to pray for people. Yeah. Thank you. Good call. Good call. So, Lord, I thank you for Sarah, who whose name in Hebrew means princess. And I thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful princess. I thank you for her faith, her journey with you. I ask you, Lord Jesus, through the intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon her, to kindle in her heart a fresh fire for your kingdom. And I pray that she will have a ever deepening encounter with your love and with you, that she may grow in holiness and grow in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sarah, welcome, for that Sarah. question. Wonderful. Well, shall I carry on? Yes, I'll just remind the callers, the listeners, that um, the lines are open if they if they wish to call. The number is zero one two two three three seven five five six four, and um, I think it's a very interesting question, Derek. Um, the, this idea of how these Old Testament uh, uh, laws, you know, translate into the the New Testament, and and I wonder if maybe you just spend a little bit more time on the importance of rest. Um, you know, and, and how th this kind of translates into the um, 
the age that we're now we're now in, in you know in the in the Christian era where um and and how the Old Testament commandment to rest is now sort of transformed in Christ. What I'd like to do, Tim, is I was actually pondering this before the show began because I was thinking, okay, there's only a few more weeks left on the Jubilee series, and then we have Easter, and I was pondering because I've written and I have written another Bible study workbook, like the one on Covenant, and there's one on Jubilee, and I've actually written one called the Sabbath Rest, and so, but I haven't published it; it's only on my laptop. And I was thinking, should I introduce some teaching on the concept of rest? Because rest is the Sabbath, Shabbat. It's from Genesis to Revelation. And we speak about it all the time, the, the concept of an eternal rest. Um, and it is all the way through. It's through the prophets. It's through the wisdom literature, the Psalms. It's in the Gospels, all the way through the Gospels. And Jesus talked about it on several occasions. Um, so there's a there's a, a a huge amount of teaching to unwind, and also it doesn't just speak about the physical rest that we would have on for us on the Lord's Day for a Jew on the Sabbath, the seventh day. It's also to do with the contemplative dimension of the spiritual life, so that we learn how to spend time in the presence of God, not constantly reciting prayers and talking to God. Well, actually learning how to peacefully come into God's presence and peacefully be at rest in his presence, securing the knowledge that God knows every single detail of our lives and he has got absolutely everything in hand if we can just abandon things into his hands and be silent still and rested in his presence. So you can see there's a whole field of teaching to be explored when it comes to the Shabbat. And my hope was to actually do some teachings on this um, sometime after I've completed this series. That's wonderful. Um, I'm sure we'll be very much eager to hear all about that. Um, but yes, do go on. Don't let me don't let me slow you down. Yep, absolutely. Thank you very much. Right, so what I want to do here, listeners, is I want to slightly backtrack. So what I've done is I've introduced you to the Jewish New Year, which begins in the autumn. Rosh Hashanah, the Yom Kippur, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the historical reason behind it, and also the fact that the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. But now I want to draw back just a little bit, because um, it might help you to understand some parts of the nature of Yom Kippur. Um, in Leviticus 23.23, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a solemn rest. Now, that day is um, the month of Tishri begins. Okay, And the month begins at sunset on the previous day. Because the Jewish day always begins at the sunset. Our day begins at midnight. The Jewish day begins at sunset. So the Sabbath day always begins in our world sunset on the Friday. Um, that's the month of Tishri. That yields, uh, on Sunday night slash Monday, the first of the ten days of awe, what's known as a Yamim Noraim. It's called the 
um, the most intense period of prayer in a synagogue, and every upright Israelite examines his conscience in the presence of God in order to come to a healthy and purified relationship with God and man, realizing that the God of the covenants is also the judge of the lives of all men. Now, this lasts for 10 days, the 10 days of awe, the 10 days of holiness. So, and, and this is 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur, when the sins are covered. So think about the process, the fact that these devout Israelites will be going to the synagogue every day for 10 days, standing in the presence of God and letting God probe their heart and mind and revealing to them their secret sin, their hidden sin, which they've committed over the last 12 months. This is something we need to learn to adopt. We already have something of it before confession, when we have what's known as the examination of conscience. We also have something of it in the daily examine promoted by the Jesuits and our Holy Father. But I'm also going to encourage you, uh, listeners, in Lent, you're in Lent, you have three weeks of Lent left. It's a short time. In fact, less than three weeks. You have a short time left in this season where God gives us the graces of repentance in a very special way. And so I'm going to encourage you to spend time in the presence of God and to let God unveil in you the hidden things, the subconscious, the real wounds of the soul, the real hidden sins of the soul, so that you can come before him in confession and allow his healing touch to penetrate a little bit deeper. This will do nothing more than lead you into a newer freedom and a more profound peace. I 100% guarantee that, okay, 100%, because this is what I believe, this is what God does whenever the soul has a serious, deep and penetrating look at their life and at their own heart and discovers their inner woundedness, going into confession, receiving the healing touch of God, it, God's touch brings peace. Okay, just want to get that. God's touch brings peace and healing. Now, I've only got five minutes left to go. We did have a, a third song. Tim, could we play our third song just for a minute or two, and then I'll come back in and I want to do a closing prayer with the listeners. Is that okay? Certainly, yes. Let's, um, let's play that final song. And um, this next song is called... Um, it's called Speak Jesus, and um, it's by Here Be Lions. Here it is. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus and I just want to speak the name of Jesus To 
every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom i speak jesus your name is power your name is healing your So this brings us um, to the end of our prayer for this evening. And um, Derek, it's been really lovely having you speak to us about um, these uh, biblical themes. And um, I wonder if you could just close off for us and um, with a last word and with a prayer. Absolutely. So listeners, ears primed and hearts open. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon everyone listening to this, whether it's live or recording, so that we may be filled afresh with power from on high. Lord, Heavenly Father, we want to live the fullness of the Christian life. We want to know what it is to be consumed with peace, to be set on fire with love, to be in a beautiful communion with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So please send your Holy Spirit in the fullness of his power so that our lives can be completely transformed so that we can walk that high path of holiness and so that we can be highly effective witnesses to your grace and glory. And I pray for anyone out there, Heavenly Father, who is struggling to walk the walk because of wounds or sin or failings. And I ask you, Father, to pour your mercy upon them and touch their hearts. And just show them, Father, that you love them with their weakness and your power is made perfect in their weakness and that their woundedness, their failings, their sufferings, make them more lovable in your eyes so there is no one excluded father in jesus name amen amen